Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord, everyone. If I was to walk out of this house right now, I could say that I've been to church. I don't need to hear myself preach. I don't need to hear Rodney Jr. preach tonight. I don't even need to hear the great Luke Levine tonight. I could say I've been to church. I've been blessed. I've been fed. I've been challenged. I've been enlightened. Amen. Faith has come to my heart by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you, Professor Norris, for blessing us today with incredible teaching. Just exquisite, masterful. And some of you wouldn't know this, but his grandfather and my father taught together for 35 years at Apostolic Bible Institute. And I'm happy to say that the Norrises and the Gleasons are still loving truth and still teaching it and still preaching it and we're still working together. Amen. I uh, want to mention that next month, this local church will be hosting a national conference for the Midwest called Fivefold Ministry Discovery Conference. And regrettably, unfortunately, you need to register. Don't just show up for it, but we want you to come. We're having a conversation in the UPCI about the fivefold ministry apostles, prophets. They're the elephants in the room. Who are they? How do we. Uh, make room for them. It's interesting in the book of Acts, the apostles made room for all of us and now we're making room for the apostles. But we're getting better at it and we want the next generation to do better than our generation did. So we want to demystify and normalize the leadership ministry of the church, the fivefold ministry. And all the licensed ministers that are in this house today, you are the fivefold ministry and we thank God for you and who you are. So you can go to uh, UPCI, you can go to WNOP, the World Network of Prayer. You can even go to TLC, KCMO, our church website. You can register for that conference. Professor Norris will be here, uh, Jason Sisko, Mark Morgan, Flo Shaw, Doug Kleindenst, Art Wilson, and others will be presenting. We're not coming to have church, we're just coming to be the church. And we're coming to have a conversation about what God is saying to the church. Thank you, Pastor Justin, for such a lovely introduction. I thank God for both of my sons, Justin, now our pastor, Caleb, our youth pastor. And this will be my first time to preach as the bishop of the Life Church. And this will be my first time to hear me as the archbishop of the Life Church. She hates it when I say that. <laughs> Amen. I thank God for Justin and Anna and my wife, Marlene. Thank you to our district superintendent for having such a great vision. And I would like to partner with Brother Parkey's vision if the Lord would help me today. Brother Carr, all of our presbyters, all of our district board, all of our licensed ministers, we honor you. 2 Timothy 3, 14. I'm reading from the Holy NLT, 2 Timothy 3, 14. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. 
And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses the scripture to prepare and equip his people to every good work. My subject today, I hope for your edification, is entitled, The Problem with Theology. The Problem with Theology. And everybody's going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time. May be seated. Thank you for that amen. I might need one or two. (laughs) When we use the word theology today, I mean to say how you interpret the Bible. Your theology is your perception and or your revelation of God. It's your biblical worldview and how that worldview informed by the Bible informs you how you should live. Your theology should impact your life. And if it doesn't impact your life, you don't have much of any theology at all. Theologians say your orthodoxy informs your orthopraxy. What you know should translate and transmit to what you believe and how you live. So in the text... Rabbi Paul is writing to his disciple, Timothy, and he gives him a pragmatic prescription about how he should be living his life. He says in verse 14, live by what you've discovered. The things that you understand and have proven to be true in your studies. Then in the same verse, he says, remember who it was that taught you. It was your trusted, credible leaders and teachers who hold you and have taught you your entire life what you believe. Verse 15, Paul says, don't go back or compromise your revelation regarding your salvation. Verse 16, he says, maintain your very high view of the scripture. And continue to understand that the scripture is the plenary, inspired, or God-breathed word of God. In verse 16, he says, use the word of God to bring conviction and correction and to provide direction for those you are leading. And of course, first of all, for yourself. And finally, in the text, Paul says... The scripture is sufficient to equip you as a man of God for every situation that you will face in your ministry. This, my brothers and sisters, is theology. Theology is our revelation of truth from the word of God and how we live it out in this world.
for over 10 years now, I have been focused on my construct of the only book of church history in the New Testament, which you know to be the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, last year I read virtually nothing else in the Bible other than the book of Acts. I'm curious and I'm passionate about everything I read in that book of church history. And I'm reaching to duplicate, recreate, replicate, and imitate everything that we see in the book of Acts, everything that we hear in the book of Acts, everything that we experience in the book of Acts, everything that we feel in the book of Acts. If it's in the book of Acts, I want it. If it's in the book of Acts, I'm going to have it. Amen. If it's in the book of Acts, it's going to happen at the Life Church if I have anything to say about it. Yes, it is. Amen. Let me see if, if I'm in the right group this morning. Let me see if I'm in the right place. As oneness, apostolic, Pentecostals, we preach Acts. Let me tell you how this works. I say something awesome. And then if you like it and agree with it and you want it, you say amen. (laughs) We are the 21st century version of the continuation of the first century apostolic church. (laughs) We do the book of Acts. We are the book of Acts. We believe the book of Acts. We are the continuation of that first century church. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but we are living out chapter 29. We are living it out. There is no amen at the end of the book of Acts. That's a message to us that the church is still unfolding. What they believed, we believe. How they acted, we act. Amen. How they lived, we live. At least we're reaching. Not all Christians share our passion for the Acts dynamics. Why? Because it doesn't fit their theological construct. And oh, what they are missing. I wish everyone here would read Dr. Norris's book entitled Acts 238. Raise your hand if you've seen it, if you've got it, if you've read it. You need to read it. You need to read it. In the book, he argues that everything in the Bible leads up to that verse. And then everything in the scripture afterwards is a result of the impact of that message. And uh, I just wish everyone would see it and read it. And we should thank God every day that our theology does not cancel out the acts of the apostles. I'm actually starting to feel a little bit sorry for any Christians who don't believe that what happened in the book of Acts is for us today. I feel sorry for them because what God is doing is just passing them up. It's just passing them by. 
And I, I literally do. Now, I got to tell you, when I drive by a church, I don't care what label is on the sign. I do drive-by prayers. Amen. Drive-by shootings. I do drive-by prayer shootings. Amen. Amen. If there's a pulpit in that building, if there's a Bible laid open on that building, they are not my enemy. They are not my competition. Amen. They, they are my prayer. They are the object of my prayer. I pray, Lord, if there's a Bible open, Lord, let the Holy Ghost fall in that church. Lord, if there's a Bible open and a hungry pastor, let revelation break in on him. Can I tell you that revelation, it's a good day to be a Pentecostal. It's a good day to be a spirit-filled Pentecostal. Vincent Sinan in his amazing work, uh, Spirit-Empowered Christianity in the 21st Century, the book is 22 years old now. 22 years ago, he said there are 600 million Pentecostal charismatic type believers in the world today. And he said by the year 2025, it will rise to over a billion. And I'm telling you, amen. We, we don't need to cancel out. We don't need to cancel culture right now on Asbury Revival. Nobody needs to cancel that. Anybody that's canceling that, you're not hearing from the Lord. Anybody that's canceling that is an attempt to manipulate and control and say that because they're not in our camp, they don't have anything. Let me tell you something. God is breaking into the world. He is breaking into the world. God is stepping over. He's stepping over boundaries. He's stepping over barriers. He's working with the hungry and the thirsty. Come on. Amen. It's a good day to be a Pentecostal. It's a good day to be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't want to miss the time of this visitation. We don't want to miss it. Come on, let's not just be behind our four walls and say we're just going to sing and pray and dance and wait for Jesus. Oh, no. God's breaking into the world. He's doing a new thing right now. <laughs> this is not a good time to not believe in the supernatural. <laughs> This is not a good time to not believe in miracles, wonders, and signs. This is not a good time to not believe in speaking with other tongues. As the Spirit gives utterance, it's a, if it's from God, why wouldn't you want it? Not only is it breaking out in Asbury. It's interesting, Dr. Norris, it's a holiness organization and this is where the Holy Spirit fell a hundred years ago over a hundred years ago at the turn of the century among holiness people people that were reaching for what Dr. Norris preached to us today reaching for sanctification and and wanting to get closer to God and it's no wonder God broke in on those people and now there's a breakout of the spirit in Cedarville University in Ohio and Samford University in Alabama 
and Lee University in Tennessee and Belmont University in Nashville and Baylor University and Texas A&M and New York City Times Square. People are lifting their hands and the Holy Spirit is falling. We don't need to say because we can't count them in Sunday school that God's not doing anything. Can I tell you the revival that is breaking into this world is bigger than the United Pentecostal Church. (laughs) Jesus said, no man can hold the wind. No man can control the wind. He told Nicodemus, when the spirit comes, it goes where it wants to. Nobody can tell where it came from or where it's going. Jesus said, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. Jesus said, there's going to be a universal sound. He said, you can hear the sound of the wind, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. The word sound is the word phone from which we get our word phonics. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the universal sound from heaven is going to sound like words. It's going to sound like speaking. It's going to sound like talking. And let me tell you, in the book of Acts is where it happened. I believe Nicodemus was praying on the day of Pentecost. The Bible doesn't say he was, but how could he miss it? Oh, you may be seated. I told myself to calm myself. That's already way over. Cessationists do not read the acts of the apostles through our lens. I feel sorry for them. They believe the apostolic age is over. No more apostles, no prophets, no miracles, no casting out devils. Get ready to cast out devils. The world is full of the devil. I don't know about you, but everybody that's Getting saved at the life church either had a devil, has a devil, or is going to have a devil. (laughs) It's a time for us to be praying and fasting. Taking authority. Casting out devils. (laughs) Cessationists don't believe that anybody's speaking with tongues. I went to a bookstore of a large church in town I heard that the pastor had written a book against speaking with tongues I wanted to go see it this is I don't know 27 28 years ago I was pilfering through the book I found it I noticed there was no bibliography he quoted no other authors and he had a cartoonist show this woman like ostensibly lifting her hands to receive the Holy Spirit. And then the cartoonist showed a demonic looking evil thing over her, like when she's praying to God that she's going to be filled with something from hell, which makes no sense. A lady came over to me that worked there. She said, can I help you? I said, "Uh, I found what I was looking for. She said, oh, that's our pastor's book. She smiled. I said, well, you know, this book... uh, is not biblical. This, this book uh, is not even authentic. She said, what do you mean? I said, he quotes no sources. He has no bibliography. He's apparently 
the uh, de facto interpreter uh, of uh, speaking with tongues. And I said, and this cartoon here, I said, this is really a mean-spirited, this is a mean-spirited book. She said, oh, yeah, that's our pastor. <laughs> what a thing for one of your church members to, to say about you. See, the problem with theology is we bring our bias or our bent or our incorrect prejudice to the text. If your theology is wrong, you can read something into the text that is not there. Or you can read something out of the text that should be there. Thomas Jefferson took a razor to the Bible and removed everything that smacked of the supernatural or the divine from the New Testament, including every miracle that Jesus did and the resurrection. Now, let's not let the Bible get in the way of our theology. Historically, other believers have embraced some really bad theology. Veneration of Mary, that's not good theology. Having more symbolism in art and statuary in your house of worship than an actual visitation and a move of the Spirit, that's not really the best theology. Requiring your pastor to be celibate is really bad theology. It has unintended consequences. Viewing God in a plurality of individual persons is not very good theology, especially if you then went out and martyred those who did not agree with you. Ruling out miracles and gifts of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's not good theology. Why? Because I have to tell you, so many times we get our plans together and we say, God, just bless what I'm doing. God's saying, wait a minute, this is backwards. Why don't you do what I'm blessing? Who's God here? You or me? Billy Cole said, I find out what God wants to do. I find out where he wants to do it, and then I just show up. Amen. We just show up, Brother Norris. We just show up wherever God. Amen. If you're here today, you showed up, and God has a reason for you to be here today. God wants to break into your life. God wants to do a new thing. Hallelujah. Come on. God wants to do a new thing. That's what Northwest Missouri Camp Meeting is all about. Hallelujah. Sort of like getting dressed in the morning. You know, if you get that first button wrong, it's all going to be wrong. How would this look on Sunday morning? You get the, you don't get the first button right, nothing else lines up. But if you're like me and usually get dressed in the dark, <laughs> you, you just got to get that first button right and then everything else will fall in line. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first. Not this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto me. Get your God right. Get your God right. Come on. 
Amen. Muhammad said, go that way. Confucius said, go this way. Buddha said, go the other way. But Jesus said, I am the way. He said, I am the way. Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. He purchased the church with his own blood. Hallelujah. Get your God right. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the only God to serve. He's the only God to worship. If it's not about Jesus, it's not about nothing. If you get your God right, you'll get his salvation right. We've already heard that masterfully unpacked today. Everything will fall in place. So the Holy Ghost is calling the church back to the beginning. I hear the Holy Spirit calling us back to the original. Is there anybody here that enjoys prophecy? I'm glad somebody does. We all enjoy, we all enjoy prophecy. We see it. I've lived long enough to see some of the things I've heard preached and taught all my life come to pass. We, we study Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation and Jesus' discourse of the eschaton in Matthew 24 and 25. But can I tell you what my favorite book of prophecy is in the entire Bible? It's actually the prophecy that I'm most interested in. And this book of the Bible is, in my view, the most important prophetic book in the world right now. It is the book of Acts. The entire book of Acts is a prophecy to the 21st century church. The entire book of Acts is prophesying our future. It's prophesying our destiny. I'm not sure if you really believe that. The book of Acts is speaking prophetically to the church. More than Ezekiel is. More than Daniel is. More than Revelation is. Not discounting any of that. If you want to get it in balance, you need to pick up Dr. Norris's book, Life, Death, and the End of the World. It'll help you understand where the church is situated right now. But for the purpose of this message, I am wrapped up in the prophetic vision that the book of Acts gives us. Let me tell you something. The book of Acts is not 2,000 years old. The book of Acts is not over. I started out my message, but I'm coming back to that right now. It is still unfolding. It is still coming to pass. If you want to know where we're going, get your nose back in the book of Acts. If you want to know what's getting ready to happen to the church, get back in the book of Acts. Let me tell you, persecution's coming. Trouble's coming. We might have some of our preachers end up in jail. That's in the book of Acts. 
But also in the book of Acts, every time they threw him in jail, they couldn't keep him in jail very long. An angel was coming to get him out of the jail. Hallelujah. And they prayed and boldness came on them. And they're back out in the streets preaching the word. It'd be nice for a preacher to go to jail for preaching once. Strike that from the record. <laughs> Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. That's a prophecy. Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe. That's a prophecy. John 14, the works that I'm doing will you do and greater works than these shall you do. That's a prophecy. Peter said in Acts 2, it shall come to pass in the last days. That is still coming to pass. That is still coming to pass. The Bible said that the latter former rain came moderately and the latter rain is seven times greater. So just multiply by seven. Anything that happened in the book of Acts, Brother Huckabee, that's where the church is going. It's our prophetic destiny. The book of Acts is showing us the way. Amen. There's going to be 3,000 and 5,000 and disciples are going to multiply. It's where we're going. It's where we're going. Hallelujah. The acts of the apostles is our prophetic destiny. The book of Acts is still the standard. It's still the blueprint. It's still the high watermark. I hear preachers say, I've heard two preachers say the last five years, we're blowing the book of Acts away. Really? You must have a different book of Acts than what I've got. Everything in the book of Acts is ours to claim. It's something to reach for. It's our destiny. It's our prophetic permission. Are we blowing the book of Acts away? Acts 5.28 says they filled all Jerusalem with their doctrine. How are you doing? We haven't filled Kansas City, Brother Gates, with the doctrine yet. We got to get that done. We got to fill the whole city. Have you filled your city? Then maybe we got work to do. Maybe there's a little bit more to reach for. Come on. If they did it, we could do it. And I'm going to tell you, there's a way. There's a way that we're not doing it yet. And that's the problem with our theology. And I'll get to that in just a minute. Acts 6, 7. There's three things in this simple verse I have never seen in 65 years. In the apostolic church. The word of God increased. Acts 6, 7. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 6, 7. And a great company of priests. Acts 6, 7. We have a major most malfunction. 
Three things I've never seen. The word, of, the word of God, well, the King James says increased. What does that mean? They went out and bought family Bibles? What does that mean? Everybody put Bibles in their suitcases and their attaches and carried them everywhere? They didn't even have Bibles. How does the word of God increase? See, we think that's the only place where the word of God can be preached. If you've only got one pulpit in your city, you'll never fill the city with your doctrine. If that's the only place where the preaching goes on in your town, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I've never seen the word of God increase because I've never seen disciples multiply. I've seen disciples added. We baptized 17, I think, this year so far. And we thank God for that. But that's not even a multiplication. That's an addition at best in a church of four or 500. That's not a multiplication. But in the book of Acts, disciples multiply. And I'm telling you that revival is bigger than us. If we did the math, we have 5,000 congregations in North America. Let's assign 300 seats to every place where there's a worship center with the name UPC on it. Okay? That's one and a half million seats. And on a good Easter Sunday, we have 700,000 that show up. So, Brother Keck, we got room for 800,000. That's not even 20% of the greater Kansas City metro. Don't tell me that God has got to fit everything he wants to do in your sanctuary or in this sanctuary. God is breaking in and revelation is coming and you're a part of it. It happened in the book of Acts and it's happening now. Please be seated. So I'm studying the book of Acts all last year, and I'm reading, and I'm reading, and I'm reading. And it hits me like a Mack truck one day. Every conversion in the book of Acts, 99%, were by religious people. Don't miss it. We're always reaching for the down and out. We're reaching for the addicts. We should, we do, we are. We had Celebrate Recovery here last night. I don't know how many we baptized, maybe a dozen or 10 from Celebrate Recovery. We're trying to help people get out of their addiction. We're trying to help people get out of their brokenness. And we need to be there because half of the world's population, at least in America, is addicted to something. We're dealing with a culture of addiction. And we better be meeting that need. But when I read the book of Acts, these were not derelicts. These were not drug addicts. These were not the down and out. These were religious people. These were godly people. These were people that loved the Bible. They just didn't know who Jesus was. It's devout Jews in Acts chapter 2. Amen. It's worshipers in Samaria. It's Cornelius who prays and he, and he gives alms and he fears God. Amen. It's the elders in Ephesus. I'm telling you, God is breaking in right now on religious people. He's breaking in on the religious. Don't miss it. God is breaking in. Every pastor, every preacher, every licensed minister in this room, you need to have friends 
in your town who pastor other churches. Yes, you do. In fact, I'm going to a lunch. Me and Pastor Justin are going to a lunch next month. It happens about every two or three months. It's called Midwestern Ministers Fellowship. If you're in the metro, you should consider coming. It's going to be at Tiff and Jay's, I think, in Lee Summit on the 14th of March at 1130. And my friend Howard Cordell read my book, The Unflawed Leader. He came to the church. He said, I want 11 of them. He said, I'm going to give them to my pastoral board. And he texted me the other day. He said, I want you to bring a box of your books to the lunch. Now, it's, it's a book that's a pushback against dysfunctional leadership in Christianity. And we've all seen it. Look, I've been hurt. You've been hurt. We've all been hurt. Let's get over it and have revival. But I'm situating Jesus as the unflawed leader. In fact, my wife said, what's the name of your book? I said, the unflawed leader. She said, oh, it's an autobiography? <laughs> no, she didn't say that. The archbishop did not say that. And it should be obvious who the book's about because there's only ever been one. There's only ever been one. And we're still pressing toward that mark. We're pressing toward Jesus. But I put in the book the message. I put our theology. I put the oneness of God. I put the Acts 2.38 saving gospel message. And I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that Midwestern Ministers Fellowship needs an apostolic presence. They need a spirit filled tongue talking. One God believes in miracles. I'm praying. I know their names. I'm calling out their names, Lord. God, I want to preach in their church, Lord. I want to have a Bible study with them. I want to see you break in, Lord. I don't need them to come here. I want revelation to fall on those pastors and they baptize. <sighs> Say, where'd you get that? Acts 6, 7. A great company of priests. By the way, denominal is not a word. Can I just correct that right now? Denominational. Thank you. Oh, that was a therapeutic moment right there. When a great, you may be seeing a great company of priests are obedient to the faith. That is our prophetic permission and destiny that entire denominations, Holy Ghost falls. You say, well, where are they going to get truth? Don't worry about that. It's not our job. We don't have to control Asbury. Everybody wants to run down there and that's fine. And I know people that have brought baptistries and that's great. People are preaching and I'm not taking anything away from that. But we cannot control the wind. Jesus handled it when he said in John 16, 13. And when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide into all truth. Amen. Independent revelation is coming. Independent revelation. You need to be on location. You need to be available. But God may not need you. He may just come to a pastor who's praying and he's seen the mighty God in Christ. Woo! I baptized two ordained ministers from other organizations. 
One of them went and baptized 20 of his pastors and they baptized their congregations. God is doing this. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Theology matters. Sometimes our theology hurts us. Everybody smile. Yeah. Let me give you an example. We believe in the rapture. Our forefathers believed it so passionately that none of them prepared for retirement. It's true. They never prepared for retirement. Why do I need to prepare for retirement? Jesus is coming. Well, it's a good theology to believe that Jesus is eminent, eminently returning. But that's out of balance. Here's another one. Our theology, separation from the world. We believe that we should come out from among them and be separate. Not to the point where we create the rapture before it takes place. And how long would it take your community to know that your church has gone in the rapture before they realize it? Another part of our theology that can hurt us is our theology about divine healing. We believe in miracles. We we believe in faith and faith and faith and speak faith and walk in faith and live faith and preach faith. There's some people that say, well, if you sneezed and you got a sore throat and you you got an earache. Don't confess that. You know, devil will hear what you say. Oh, then you'll be in big trouble. My uncle Stan fell out of a tree about 1925. My grandparents didn't have any money to send him to the hospital. He came into the house. His arms at a right angle. My dad said, Grandma said, in the name of Jesus, go out and play. Went right back out. (laughs) That's faith. But divine healing theology hurts you when you have a terminally ill family member, as I have seen in my lifetime. And the matriarch or the patriarch won't let anybody go in and say goodbye and bring closure. That's dysfunctional. That theology is worthless. Because it trumps Family. Everybody all right? Ah. Even our oneness theology hurts us because we got George Washington showing up all the time at church. We never see an Abraham Lincoln or a Hamilton or a Benjamin Franklin. You take anything too far. So I bring the message to a close with one more problem with theology. And that's what I call church theology. Our church theology is why we haven't reached the world yet. Our church theology is why there are only 34 million oneness Pentecostals in the world today. That's 0.03% of the population. Church theology goes like this. Go to church. Where do you go to church? You should get to church. We went to church. We missed you at church. Build your life around 
the church. Was so-and-so at church? Would you come to church with me? We had a move of God at church. We had miracles at church. We have great preaching at church. God moved at our church. In our functional daily theology, we believe that everything spiritual, godly, supernatural has to happen at one address where you go to church. That's the only place where we pray for people. That's the only place where we think miracles can happen. That's the only place where people are filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the only place where the preaching of the word happens. On the count of three, everybody tell me the address of your church. Ready? One, two, three. All I heard was Gary Morgan's. This is a problem with our theology. A campus, a central address, is the only place where some people ever pray. It's the only place some people ever lay hands on people. It's the only place in some towns where the word of God is ever preached. It's the only place where sinners ever hear or see the gospel, if there's only one pulpit in your town, the word will never increase. If you walked up to a first century believer and asked them where they went to church, they like, what? What are you talking about? The first dedicated worship center to God was not even built until 200 years after the church was born. So how did they fill all Jerusalem with their doctrine? I'll tell you why. They weren't busy just going to an address, one place, one time a week. That's why we're not reaching the world. That's why we don't have an apostolic work that's thriving in every local community. We need somebody to be driving through your community and stop at the corner of Broad and Main and get out of your car and have an apostolic authority and say, devil, you've had this city long enough. The Pentecostals are coming. Amen. And start meeting people in coffee shops and at Denny's or wherever you can. Amen. And start taking. Amen. We're taking the water to the ocean. Jesus said you are salt and light. We're preaching to each other. We're worshiping to each other. We're praying for each other. But who's going to put light into the darkness? Who's going to carry some water to the desert? Amen. You got to get salt on proximity. Let's stop assaulting each other and let's start salting this unsavory world. You may be seated. I, I preach this. I pre, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost. This is my second closing. Don't go to church. Be to church. Then you never go to church. Brian had to leave. The church was the church last night at Hula Hands. Brian was weeping, was he not? I wasn't there. But you know why Brian's weeping? Because the church walked into Hulahan. Why is he crying? He's not here. He's not at the altar. 
You need to get it out of your mind that people can only encounter God when they're in this 7,000 square feet right here. That's why you've never baptized anybody. That's why you've never prayed anybody through to the Holy Ghost. That's why you've never taught anybody a Bible study. What are we waiting for? Let's be the church. Let's take the church. I, I got a picture of a gentleman in our church named Anuj. That's his wife, Talisa, and their little daughter, Angeli. Anuj sits way back in the corner over there, and he was coming. First few times he came, he had a red dot in his forehead. He's a Hindu. And I waited for all the men in our church to go disciple him. Nobody touched him. They all flunked. And I fired all of them. Went back and met him. Can I take you to lunch? Sure. We go to lunch, some Indian place. I've been to India eight times. That might have come up in the conversation. He's a businessman. He said, Pastor, Pastor, you come to my house? Sure, I'll come to your house. Go to his house, gives me a tour. About ready to leave. He's coming down the stairs. He stops at the last stair. He begins to weep. You go. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? He's never repented. He's never been baptized. Wow. I said, Anuj, what are you, what's going on? He said, Pastor, if you pray for my business, we pay off the whole church. Yeah. <laughs> then I lifted my hands and now I'm <laughs> And they're like, I got 150 men that are saved, sanctified, justified, and falling on and off the ladder of stewardship. And here's a Hindu heathen. You know what it reminded me of? Jesus saying to Nicodemus, get out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. And Nicodemus is like, Zacchaeus, yeah, sorry. Not Nicodemus. Zacchaeus. Yeah, Nicodemus came by night. Zacchaeus. I got, a M, I got a master's degree from UGST. <laughs> I don't know if you're having fun, but I'm having a blast. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. What's he start doing? He start talking about his money. I told our church the other day, when we baptize, you're going to start baptizing people with their wallets in their back pocket and their purses on their arms. Amen. Don't talk to me about transformation. Amen. Unless you get your money right. Praise God. Amen. And I'm not here to preach on money, but I'm just going to tell you right now that Jesus brought the church to Zacchaeus and I brought the church to Anut. And I use this story by permission. I started teaching him a Bible study in his house. About six months later, he was baptized privately in the name of Jesus Christ. And two Sundays later, God filled a Hindu with the Holy Ghost. Why was he crying? Because I'm the church. I'm holiness. I'm conviction. I'm an altar call everywhere I go. Everybody stand. Show, show the next picture. Look at this lady. Her name's Kayla. 
And Michaela's teaching her nine-year-old last year, third grader, kid was full of the devil. Literally. She could see it in his eyes. So disruptive. I can't even begin to tell you how many times she came home just broken. Dad, there's no parenting going on. I have to parent 90% of the time and then I work in some teaching. She said, I got to go disciple his mother so I can have a better class. Third lesson. That's Kayla at her dining room table. She never been here. She never heard anybody speak in tongues. She don't know anything about it. And she starts weeping. And Michaela said, Kayla, just lift your hands. And the Holy Spirit falls on her and she begins to speak with other tongues. Listen, I was not there. I did not superintend that. It didn't have to pass my checklist. Amen. I I was the pastor. I'm not anymore. But I didn't have to validate that. If my daughter that I discipled said somebody was filled with the Holy Ghost, listen, I'm decentralizing the church. It doesn't all have to happen right here. So the next slide. I I don't know if this was that day or not. I did not baptize her. Pastor Justin did not baptize her. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize. He never said it has to be just the ordained minister. We are never going to reach the world. If everything has to happen here and all the powers on the platform, I have a high view of the saints. Jesus said, these signs shall follow the believer. Everybody all right? Just remain standing. One more picture. Now, I'll leave the deep theology to Brother Norris. This is as deep as I get apples. Look really theologically intelligent at this apple. What are the pieces of an apple? If the musician would please come. Well, we got a stem, skin, the meat, the core. What's inside the core? How many seeds per apple? Five to eight, thank you. Have an astute audience. The apple represents Sunday church. We always want to know how many was in the apple on Sunday. How many seeds in the apple? Brother Gary always sends a report last Sunday, I think 409. Still haven't recovered from COVID, but we're climbing back up. We thank God. I'll tell you something, that's not the most important number. How many seeds in the apple? How many seeds in this world? We always want to know. Can I tell you something? That's irrelevant. That's not the question. The question is, how many apples are in the seeds? That's why we haven't reached the world yet. Because we're just counting the seeds in the apple on Sundays. I went to a pastoral dedic- uh, anniversary, 10-year anniversary a few years ago. I thought, wow, this is amazing. This pastor was bragging on everybody. They came to church, and they came, and they shoveled, and they cut the grass. And this guy came, and he worked so hard, he fell asleep. And when I came in the other morning, he was asleep in the choir loft. And, oh, you know, they came, and everybody's coming, and everybody's coming. And I'm like, what? Am I insane? He's trying to get everybody to come to the building. I'm trying to kick everybody out. 
got all of our ministry eggs in one basket called 10400 View High Drive. It's more important what happens Monday through Saturday than what happens on Sunday. And that's why the first century church impacted the world. Because they didn't go to church. They were the church. Don't underestimate the power that you have. Don't minimize that Jesus said, if you'll get on the mission, I'll go with you. Let me equip you with a question you can ask anybody at any time. If God was to do a miracle in your life, what would that look like? That's an emotionally, powerfully charged question. Don't say, well, when I go home in my prayer closet, I'll shut the door and I'll pray for you. No! Pray right now. God will show up. Or you know what? They're going to be crying. They're going to be boohooing. They don't even know why. <sighs> Let's not just go to church. Let's be the church. Would you lift your hands in the presence of God? Come on, this will change the world. This will change the world. You're not a church of 50. Everybody's got five friends that are sinners. You're a church of 250. Come on, let's go. The problem with theology is when we let it work against us. Come on, apostolic church. Let's stop just going to church. Let's start being the church. Why don't you start being the church in your sanctuary? 5% of the people that are going to be in your service on Sunday, they need somebody to walk across the aisle like my wife just wrote an article in the Pentecostal Live. Why don't you get out from your comfort zone and take somebody to lunch? Come on. Let's come to this altar. Let's come to this altar. We got a few minutes. It's only noon. It's only a few minutes after noon. Come on. Change your theology. Change your lifestyle. Change your calendar. Change your bank account. Take somebody out to lunch. And you pay for it. Come on, you pay for it. Come on, apostolic book of Acts church. Let's go. Put your hand on somebody's shoulder. Pray that we'll go be the church. Come on, when we leave and we go to the restaurant today, when we go to the hotel today, come on, we need a thriving apostolic work in every community. Why don't you look around right now and be the church? Don't just pray for your friends. Then I'm not done praying.